Hello and welcome back to the What The Fork Sunderland Preview Podcast. It's back to league action after a festive day in London, so approximately 5,000 Sunderland fans at the Arsenal in midweek. And unless the bloody government tries to prevent it, we'll be taking a load down to Doncaster this coming Monday as well for a post-Christmas shindig. Fingers crossed that does go ahead. Um, things have changed immensely for Donny, let's be honest, since we last met each other. And of course, we've got Adam from Into the Empty Net to give us a lowdown on Doncaster over the season so far. Adam, feels like it hasn't been as long as it has been, but it's actually been 10 months. How are you doing, mate? You all right? Yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, Graham. I mean, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to getting Christmas going, I suppose, if it is going. Um, and I'm, I'm on the football front. I'm looking forward to hopefully a better second half of the season than we've had the first half because it's not been the best time, let's say, since we last spoke. It <laughs> hasn't. Exactly, exactly since then. It's all been downhill since we last played Sunderland, pretty much. <laughs> I was kind of looking at the things that happened since, and I've wrote it down in not even a bullet point way. I wrote it down in like a massive chunk. So I've literally wrote, last time we chatted, you're fourth off top, two games in hand in the promotion race, with 10 months on. The manager's gone, the one who replaced him's gone, and the one who replaced him's gone. And Donny are in serious danger of dropping into League Two. Um, you're actually quite a happy man last time we spoke for, for very valid reasons. But um, how are you and the fan base feeling about Doncaster at present? Yeah, it's not been a very positive time. It's it's getting it all getting a bit toxic and it's all gotten a bit um a bit angry, really, in Donny's fan base. And I think kind of understandable. Um there were some people who've who've said for a long time, you know, that there's problems behind the scenes, you know, and a lot of time I've thought, well kind of seeing something that isn't there or maybe making it bigger than it is but I think as 2021's gone on a lot of that those uh, those claims have been proven kind of true and you only as an outsider need to look at the managerial turnover to see that and our league position I suppose that I think um, we've made the same mistake we made uh, five six years ago when we dropped out of the championship last time and we kind of just drifted towards well, not even mediocrity. We drifted towards a disaster, relegation to League Two, and it came eventually. And we managed to rebuild, reset ourselves, get going again and, and have some good times. Obviously got to the playoffs uh, the year that yourselves lost to Charlton. We also lost to Charlton in that playoff campaign. Um, and since then, it's happened again, I think. And uh, I think the excuses are kind of worn thin with the fans from above. And, and now they're wanting to see some serious, serious action to turn it round and some serious changes, I suppose. So that's the hope. Um, but... I mean, my faith in that actually happening is slim, but if they get the managerial appointment right this week, then we'll see where we go from there. I think we'll go back to that, that February game as it was. Obviously, mad game, probably off the top of my head, one of the games of the season, if not the game of the season. Four Charlie White goals, four Aidan McGeady assists, two pens, six goals. And it was one of those games that, for Sunderland, seemed at the time like a really big win in the context of the promotion race because Donny were right up there and, and the games in hand, if they were won, would have put you into... the automatic spots as it was as we know games in hand especially as Sunderland fans are not always the best things to have um, but Darren Moore left a few weeks afterwards that's that's the big the big thing um, it didn't really work Andy Butler came in but looking back on the time that Darren Moore left how much did the departure of Darren Moore A affect the club and, and B play a part in where you are now I think Darren's departure kind of put everyone above him at, at Rovers on the back foot a bit. And I think it put some of the players on the back foot, certainly the ones that he'd signed in January. You know, we got, we got good backing in January, did Darren Moore, to bring in some certain players that he knew well and who we felt were going to make a big difference to get us over the line. Those kind of signings where it's... I've just used one of his buzz phrases. I hate myself. Get it over the line. <laughs> um, and ask Wednesday fans about his buzz phrases because he's got tons of them. But anyway, um, I think we thought some of those signings, John Bostock, 
Omar Bogle, uh, one or two others, were going to be the sort of players who would who would push us that extra step because we were in the top six for much of the early part of the season. You know, we had a great run in December and January, um, and we won a load of games in a row where it were putting us in automatic promotion frame, and we really felt like we had a good chance of going up, especially because we had some players players who are not here anymore, like Ben Whiteman and Taylor Richards, who who really did impress and were among the best in their position in the division. And then it just, you know, Darren left. I mean, to be honest, it, it was starting to go wrong, as we saw with the Sunderland game before Darren left. And I think the 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 noises out of the club since from people involved have said that Darren got distracted. I think that's an exact quote from, um, I think, our CEO last week. He said Darren got distracted. And for that month of February, where we did lose to Sunderland and we lost quite a few games, we lost to Wigan or someone like that as well, uh, where we should have won. Um, it did seem like something were a bit off. And then all of a sudden you wake up on, I think it was 1st of March, woke up and found that he'd, he'd bolted to Chef Wednesday, having previously said there were no interest uh, from him in going anywhere. And then the season continued to uh, drift into oblivion. And I think we finished about 14th or something in the end, which is just nowhere near good enough considering where we were. Um, and I think Darren's departure put the club on the back foot to answer your question. And I think some of the things that were becoming issues under Darren were not fixed and they still haven't been up to now, unfortunately. Darren Moore, looking back, I suppose hindsight's a wonderful thing. I can kind of get it now. But at the time, from an outside looking in, it seemed a bit of a weird one because, funny enough, Doncaster from the outside looking in this time last year looked like quite a well-run club to an extent. You, you, you're get, bringing players through. Whiteman you touched on before. There's people that have been there a long time, like Coppinger, obviously massive legends. You had the experience there, youth coming through, a good young manager. So it seemed a bit weird at the time when he left, but I suppose there's a comparison with the likes of, say, maybe Glasgow Rangers. You, Gerard saying, I'm going nowhere, then all of a sudden he's gone to Villa overnight. So Darren Moore, I didn't expect him to leave, especially not Chef Wed, who were almost certainly coming down because of the points deduction. You could kind of look at it and say, well, fair enough, you know, bigger club historically and, and could even them back up and, and yada yada and so on and so forth. But when it did happen, I thought, well, as long as you get the appointment right, they've got a good side there, you know, the backrooms, the, the um, not the backroom staff, sorry, the above seems like it's well put together and things like that. Obviously, you've touched it, maybe not, and there's more than what I've seen from the outside looking in. But the appointment of Andy Butler, over 200 league games with Doncaster, obviously well respected, but it was a bit of a left field appointment. Did the fans agree with it at the time? I think people were split. I think some said, you know, whether they called it a cheap option or just a lazy option, it was the idea was continuity. So I kind of at least bought into the idea of continuity because it looked like everything, as you say, was pretty much all right. And we had a good squad that obviously wasn't going to change for the last couple of months of the season. And Andy Butler's a great leader and he, uh, he he's a really good motivational person. And he's managing our women's team. He's managing the Bells, the top of the table this season. Um and he's clearly doing a good job with them. Obviously, it's a world away from managing in, in the English uh, men's leagues, in the professional level, I should say. Um, I have a lot of respect for what Andy Butler and, and Nick Buxton are doing there. But obviously, it was perhaps a little bit much for him to do. He came in as caretaker. Um, we won, I think, the first two games under him. We beat Portsmouth and Plymouth. Um, you could see in those games that we, we could have chucked it away against Plymouth. I think we went from cruising at 2-0 to kind of chasing our tails and hanging on a bit. But we did win those games. And I think... Everyone thought, well, let's give him it till end of season, try and at least ride through the good season that we're having and hopefully end up in the playoffs or promoted. And if so, obviously Andy Butler will have earned the job. And if not, at least we're in a decent position for the next man to come in. As it happened, it all kind of fell apart. I think I think there was a 
culture really from again this is just from what we've heard since and what i've you know spoken to people about and i think there was a bit of a culture under darren moore of everything's chill you know everything's very relaxed and uh i don't think there was a lot of pushing each other going on i don't think they were pushing each other to be better i think certain players were ben whiteman's yeah james coppinger's kieran sadly when he were here those kind of players have got that built into them or they've you know got that experience and they're always like that but i think it was hard to get some of the younger players motivated or the inexperienced lads and some of the newer lads uh, we never really saw the best of john bostock last season whether that was because he was unfit or not i mean omar bogle it's just been a disaster for him unfortunately um and richie wellens actually froze him out as i'm sure we'll get to richie in a bit but um i just think the squad coherence and cohesion was all off last season once darren left and i think it probably would have come off anyway uh, even if Darren had stayed eventually. I don't think maybe to the degree it did. I don't quite think Andy Butler quite had what it took to pull us out of that slide as it got going. But um, I have a lot of time for Andy Butler. Um, I think the way that he was drummed out of the club in the summer was a disgrace, actually, because um, he, he was frozen out and binned off quite quickly by Richie Wellens. But again, I mean, that's by the by um, to what we're talking about. And I think that we needed a firm overhaul in the summer of of coaching and playing staff and culture and we did that but the, the the new the new style that we went for has not worked at all and in fact is probably as bad if not worse than what we were dealing with at the back end of last season I think you, you touched on it before and you you were saying obviously it was by the by but I suppose in the way that the butler was bombed out and obviously he's at Donny Bells at the moment, one of the only clubs to, to win the league and still get relegated. If anyone wants to look into that, people know I like my women's football. So that's a it's a very interesting situation if you want to say women's football works uh, occasionally. Um, in terms of Butler going, though, I mean, you'll know this better than I will, but over 200 games, bit of a legend, or at least at the very least well-respected. There's certain situations that have happened at Sunderland and, and John Cook being one of them, a former player and a kit man for the best part of 30 years, suddenly just disappearing overnight after being through every regime, successful ones, non-successful ones. And that does make fans raise eyebrows and go, well, hang on. So did that, his departure, even though he didn't do very well in terms of the management side of things, did his departure and the way he went raise eyebrows with the, the higher ups and between the fan base? I mean, for the fans, I think, it did cause a bit of a divide. I think certain fans, a certain group of the fans, like myself, felt that it was not on. But it was very early in the Richie Wellens reign. And I think a lot of people wanted to say, well, look, you know, Wellens is the new manager. He's in charge. You know, Butler's the kind of guy he's replaced. And, uh, you know, it does make sense in that way. But the way it was done, the way it felt like it was done anyway, felt very uh, shady, let's be honest. And I think some fans thought, yeah, we can see why it's been done. I would have done it too, sort of thing. I wouldn't have personally, but I think some people felt like that and others felt that it shouldn't have been done that way to a player who, who is a club legend, in my opinion, um, uh, who's given so much for the club, proved last season that despite his advancing age and, and limited physical abilities, could still play at this level. And we need that kind of experience. That was a big thing for me was we needed that experience in the dressing room and with Coppinger retiring, I mean, he's still around the club doing something i don't really sure what he's doing to be honest he's doing something he's still podcast, there i think isn't he doing a podcast well, well he, he, yeah he, he does a podcast which um my partner abby gave the name to by the way um oh fantastic yeah and he, and he get he's, he's, for that sadly not no i think she was meant to get a free copy of fifa not that she'd have been interested in that but anyway <laughs> um anyway um he's doing a lot of things to be fair and we all love coppinger but with him going out of the dressing room um and with with andy butler going as well it, it left us kind of without that experience. And we didn't really sign anybody. Not well. No, we, it's true. We'd signed Tommy Rollback. We brought Tommy Rollback. 
Um, but apart from him, it's very been very much been a young squad this season. And I felt like keeping his experience around, even if he weren't going to play every week, which I wouldn't have had him playing first choice every week if we could have helped it. But to have him in the dressing room, on the pitch and on the sideline, I think would have been helpful. And Richie Wellens wasn't interested, presumably because they didn't like each other in the first place and because he didn't want someone who he'd replaced around. But even if there's reasonable elements to those decisions, those thought processes, just binning him out, basically they made him available for loan and he didn't want to go out on loan. So they said, we'll cancel your contract, pay you up. And he ended up signing for Boston, but actually left them immediately because he got a coaching job at Peterborough, which again, I'm not sure he's doing now. He's Bell's manager and he's doing that, which is fine. He's doing a really good job there. Um, but cancelling his contract meant that we couldn't sign a replacement for him, budget-wise. So, And they made that decision knowing that, the club. And it's just like you've cut your own nose off to spite your face a bit. And more decisions like that came down line from Richie Wellens, or allegedly from Richie Wellens, where... Um, we couldn't sell or shift anyway Omar Bogle and Ed Williams to players who Darren Moore had brought in who were deemed not good enough uh, by Wellens and to be fair were deemed not good enough last season by a lot of the fans but um, we couldn't get rid of them in time to use the money for on their wages for other players so Richie froze them out he made them train with the under 21s um, and he slagged them off in press basically and we've only seen them again since Wellens got sacked is that a way to run a club is that a way to run a new squad you know, those players may not have been deemed to have been performing very well, but there's no hint that they've got attitude problems or anything like that. Um, they've come back into the squad since, funnily enough, our under-21s manager took over as caretaker and have been talked up by Gary McSheffrey, who is our caretaker manager, as, as we record this, in glowing terms about how good their attitude's been and training with the kids and stuff. So, to me, I think as if you're another squad player, another player maybe on the fringes or who's fighting the way in, and you look at how the manager's treated them, you think, you know, is is this really what I want to be involved in? And it just seemed to get quite toxic. And I think that, that those two instances with Butler and with Bogle and Williams are very good examples of, of that. And I think it's one of the main reasons why it's not worked this season. I think Richie Wellens is a funny one because I listen back to, as I normally do, listen back to the previous episode that I do if it's a returning guest. And we also listen back to the Swindon episode I did at the beginning of last season. And, and obviously you were touching on Richie Wellens and I described him as a, a young up-and-coming manager with a good reputation or something along that line. And to be fair, he was. And, and a lot of that episode was made up of me saying, you know, are you concerned that a championship club might come in from? Like a lot of young managers that do well in League One and League Two, the championship is always like, oh God, is he going to go there? Um, and the Swindon fan I was talking to at the time said, yeah, you know, there's that concern. We we'll hope he stays with the project. The same kind of situation with Darren Moore in a sense. And we've all been there to an extent. Um but Wellens didn't really work out at Salford, which is where he ended up going. Um, and that's a podcast on its own, I think. Um, but then you look at when he came into Doncaster and it felt like from day dot that that wasn't working. There's obviously a lot of reasons why, which we've touched on a few. But in short, can you run me through why it went so badly for him? Yeah, I mean, you know, if I want to put my opinion on that, it's that Richie Wellens' approach to being a football manager and his approach to a squad. So we're not talking about tactics. I'm not talking about his playing philosophy because everyone went on about Wellens Ball at Swindon, didn't they? And, and I think uh, Gary Neville said it was one of the reasons why they appointed him at uh, Salford. Um, in terms of his approach to building a squad and motivating a squad, I think he's, I think he's arrogant and I think he's um, a bit belligerent and I think he's very much one of those my way or the highway managers, which can work. It can definitely work. I think it used to work 
back in the day more than it does now in the last 10, 15 years in English football. But I think it's quite at odds with the culture that the higher-ups at Doncaster have always tried to stick to and tried to adhere to. And um, in that regard, I think I like to hope that the board went in with their eyes open about that when they appointed him, because everyone knows at our club what Richie Wellens is like, because as a player, being that kind of bolshy, talkative and arrogant sort of player helped because he was a fantastic midfielder. And he helped really foster a culture of, of you know, um, of a playing squad back then under Sean O'Driscoll that knew they could beat anybody. Went onto the pitch every week if we were playing, if we were playing Luton or Barnsley, or if we were playing Sunderland or Sheffield United or Southampton or Leicester. We went out and felt we're good enough to beat them. And a lot of the times in the Championship under Sean O'Driscoll with Wellens in the team, that proved true. When you're the manager and you're kind of the sole voice leading that kind of culture. I don't think it always works. Different players need a different approach in how they're handled mentally and how they're handled in that motivational aspect. And I think Gary McSheffrey kind of touched on it without wanting to, um, you know, dig a hole for Wellens when, when McSheffrey took over. And he said, you know, some of these players need their arm round him. And I don't think Wellens is that kind of manager at all. And fair enough, I don't think his assistant Noel Hunt is. And if that's how they want to approach managing a football team, fine. But they built the squad in the summer. You know, there's it was you got a pretty blank canvas in the summer because we turned over most of our players in the summer. Coppinger retired, Butler left, um, Ben Whiteman had already gone to Preston, Reese James went to Blackpool, Tyrese John Jules, Taylor Richards, some good loanees we had, they've ended up in championship or I mean Richards is playing for Brighton every now and then in Premier League. So most of the squad changed. I think apart from Tom Anderson, our centre half, um nearly ev everyone who starts and plays regularly this season is either a youth graduate or a new signing. And he brought in 14 players. And yet, these players who were his kind of players, and a lot of them who he's had before at Swindon and um, Salford, and he knows them from Man United's youth setup, etc. Um, most of them have just not lived up to the billing. And I don't know if that's because of Wellens' approach, or if he's just got the players wrong in terms of the quality of them or what we need. But I think that basically all the big decisions they could have made this summer between the board and the manager and the recruitment, they've all got them wrong. They've got them all wrong, unfortunately. I know it's easy to sit here and say, as someone who just sits on the side and watches them and watches it all unfold and then yaps on about it on internet. But um, it feels like we've got most of those decisions wrong. I think the recruitment was slapdash in the summer and, and we can talk about it in terms of Sunderland uh, loads because our, our deadline day boiled down to Sunderland and ourselves negotiating or rather not negotiating very well. And I don't know if you want to get onto that in a bit, but um, recruitment did not go well in the summer. Um, the approach to how we play didn't go well throughout these months. And I think once we started being in a bit of a tailspin, struggling, and certainly with the injuries, because we have had an awful lot of ridiculous injury, bad luck, it just all came together a perfect storm that's led us to where we are, which obviously is 23rd in the table and six points from safety as we, as we speak. And you're touching it before about the deadline day there. I'm, I'm assuming you're referring to the Will Grigg situation. Um, Will Grigg and Aidan O'Brien, as it turned out, yes. Aidan O'Brien, correct, correct. And that kind of brings me quite wonderfully on to what my next question was going to be. Towards the end of the Wellens reign, you'd scored one goal in six league games, but you scored 13 and 21, far and wide, the, the lowest. I think you scored less goals than Rotherham have actually conceded. Um but is that a Doncaster Rovers problem? Is that a recruitment problem? Or is that a Doncaster Rovers under Richie Wellens problem? I think it's recruitment by far. I think it's recruitment. I, I, I think it's maybe 
getting it so wrong in the summer with regard signing one a striker who could score goals and two a holding midfielder to not not to replace Whiteman because I think it would have been impossible at this level to replace Whiteman, but to get somebody in the midfield who's got experience and an ability to kind of marshal that group of players, we haven't got one. Um, and I think they're the two big things that he got wrong in the summer. He, I say he, it's not all Wellens that. It's two big things that the club got wrong in recruitment. And in terms of the goal scoring, that has obviously been the biggest problem, I think. Um, it was that whole approach to getting the striker in. And it's so frustrating as a Rovers fan because we've been here before, which is why I hesitate to criticise Wellens for that particular issue. Because I think it comes really from above him. When Darren Moore took over and John Marquis was sold to Portsmouth, this is two and a half years ago now. So after that playoff campaign that both yourselves and us lost to Charlton in. Um, Marquis was sold, understandably, went to Portsmouth and Darren Moore was in early in the summer and we said, right, we need to replace Marquis. We're not expecting to sign a 25-goal striker like he was, but let's get someone in who can do the job and get the goals. And throughout that entire August window, with allegedly with money to spend from the Marquis transfer, um, we dithered, we dithered, we didn't get the players in that we wanted the club ended up putting it down to, well, Darren Moore wanted to be patient and get the right players. And then on deadline day, we didn't get those players. We got no one. And then out of the window, we signed two, no offence to the lads, terrible footballers to replace them on freeze. And I won't even name them because I'm not going to slag them off because they were not good enough for the level and it wasn't their fault that. Um, I think I think one of them is selling Christmas trees now and that's not a joke. Um, he's selling Christmas trees on, on, on the internet. So... Anyway, we made that mistake. And, you know, Darren Moore's not here anymore, but the people above him are. Um, and we got a new recruitment guy in, Graham Younger, in the summer. Um, and then we've done the same thing again. So, I mean, we didn't have a striker to replace, I suppose, from last season, but we knew we needed more because Bogle had not worked out. And Fijiri Okenabiri, who is a good striker and scores goals, has got a really bad foot injury that became apparent early in pre-season. It looked like it keep him out a while. Now it's turned out it's going to keep him out most of the season. Unfortunate. I think we would certainly have scored at least seven or eight more goals this season. We still wouldn't have been brilliant, but it would have been better than what we're on if he'd have been fit and playing. And it would have made a difference for Richie Wellens as well. It would have made a difference to how he wanted us to play. And maybe some of the results would have been better on, on days when we had a good performance, which to be fair were rare, but on the days when we did, but just couldn't hit the back of the net. Like we should have beaten Wigan early in the season. And look how well Wigan are doing now. We should have beaten him. We were all over him, but we could not finish our chances. And it's just been the story all season. We dithered around in the window. We allegedly wanted Will Grigg for weeks on end. That's who Richie Wellens wanted. Uh, Sunderland apparently said, um, we'll we'll let you speak to him, but we need to get, uh, is it Dejaku? We need to get him signed. Yeah. And he was brought, yeah. And he was brought in on deadline day. He was fair enough. But it didn't feel like we had any backup plans, you know, any well, if that carries on too long and we're scrambling around on deadline day, uh, you know, when he chooses someone else, and he chose Rotherham, funnily enough. Um, what do we do then? And it came out on the morning of the deadline day. Well, we're looking at these five, six players, and I don't know who in the club allowed those that list of players to get out to the press, but what an error that was. Because when you sign none of them either, the, the fans are really going to start to get annoyed. And I've forgotten all of them, but Tom Eves was on that list. He didn't go anywhere from Hull. Kyle Joseph was on that list from Swansea. ended up at Cheltenham on loan. There were a few more. We didn't sign any of them. And then it transpired in the last few hours of the window that we've gone back to Sunderland and gone, can we have Aidan O'Brien instead? To which a lot of us went, well, these are all different kinds of strikers. It's just a case of go like that and, you know, blind yourself and pick one who's available. Ridiculous. And we agreed the deal for O'Brien, allegedly. 
Um, and don't get me wrong, I'm sure he would have, well, I'm not sure, but I'm, I would expect he probably would have done better than, than the players that we've had have done. But allegedly, the club blamed it on Sunderland's secretary sending O'Brien the wrong form. <laughs> it shouldn't come to that. I'm not ever going to sit here and go, well, that secretary's an idiot or needs firing because don't be as a football club, lay your whole season online to a form being sent via email to a player at half past nine on deadline night. What What is that all about? How does that happen? Uh, and I don't know the answer to how, how that happens. I think it's uh, a case of the club not knowing what they're doing, sadly, if I, I'm going to be blunt about it. And then we signed Joe Dodu after the window. And Joe Dodu's fine, by the way. He's a perfectly capable footballer. As you say, he's played for Rangers. He's, he's played for a few clubs at this level and he's scored a few goals um, at this level. He's fine, but he's been asked to lead the line as a number nine in a team that's not really got much going on behind him. Um, and he's obviously not going to be firing all cylinders. I think he probably should be one of our wide wide forward options in an yeah. ideal world, which is the same for Jordi Hiwula, who is the only other striker we've got. And he's not really a striker. In fact, Wellen signed him to play as a left forward. But we've not been able to. We uh, Well, I forgot we had Thiago Chucker as well on loan from Watford, the poor lad. He's 19. Uh, he came back for pre-season overweight. He had COVID in pre-season. Uh, he's never played senior football before. And I doubt you'll be seeing him. <laughs> I doubt you'll be seeing much more of him. Certainly not in a Donny shirt because he's just been nowhere near good enough. Which again, when we signed him, did we intend to try and play him as a central number nine every week in League One for first six months of the season? Probably not. And it obviously hasn't worked out. So that's where we're at with strikers. I know I've gone on a bit there, but that's kind of a, a rundown of where Fair it's all point. of where it's all gone wrong. And that's that's where we're at now. So in in next week onwards. Whoever the new manager is, whoever is in charge of recruitment, and that's another good question, who's actually running the show there, they need to get it right. We need a striker and who's going to be fit and scoring goals. I know that's what every team in country needs, but we need something or else we've got absolutely no chance of staying up, no matter how good the new manager is. We've made it sound a bit doom and gloom. I understand that. You know, I've been in the same situation myself um, with Sunderland in the Championship and in the Premier League. But one year last game, obviously 1-0 win against Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury are down there, so that's not just a, a random win. That's a win against someone you're competing against. Is, is that a ray of hope or did it feel a little bit like a caretaker manager, 11 players playing for him and then they might stack off next week? I think it's a bit of hope because... These kind of games against the other clubs down there, we've not been winning them this season. So, I mean, we'll take it. We're a clean sheet as well. You know, we won 1-0. It were a late goal, but <laughs> I'll take it. And I'm very pleased that we won that game. And I think it will just help give the players some confidence. You know, something else Gary McSheffrey said, uh, I think it was before the Shrewsbury game, but he said, um, these players need to start believing that the League One players for a reason. As in, I think a lot of them are young players who we're bringing through, uh, who've got no experience. And a lot of them have barely played at this level before, whether they are players or the loanees. And I think a lot of them have maybe had, through this bad run we've had this season and the ones that were here last year as well, have been maybe thinking we're not good enough and, you know, we we're, we're maybe shouldn't be at this level. I think Gary McSheffer is just trying to get a bit, bit of belief into them, which will help the new manager no, no end. And I'm suspecting we'll know who that person is soon. Um, I think it is a bit of hope. We have scored a few more goals since uh, McSheffer took over. Um, we we did get knocked out by Mansfield in the FA Cup, which I, I know you know is easily done. <laughs> um, Very easily we, done. <laughs> we scored we scored twice in that game, and we should really probably have, have have scored another couple more. Which I can't even say in most of our games this season because most at times it's Doncaster overs nil, and you go yeah, fair enough, you know. Um, so we've looked a little bit more like we've got a clue what we're doing, and we've set up a different way, and we've had a bit more of a we've looked a bit more like we know what we're trying to do at least, even if we've not quite got the quality or the players in there that can execute a game plan as well but we've 
we have improved over the last few weeks. And a lot of fans that I've seen online have said that they wouldn't mind if Mitch Sheffrey and Frank Sinclair, who are taking charge at the minute, continue. I'm not for that. I think they should, because they've been promoted from the youth team to look over the first team for now. And I think if they're in charge of our youth team, it bodes well. I think they both seem like good, positive characters who can motivate players, hopefully, and can develop players. And I would like them to continue doing that. I don't really want them to come in, be the top dogs for six months, have another shocking spell as we get relegated and get sacked and then they're out of a job again. I'd like to have them in the club and uh, in that coaching staff. But I can see why some people have said, let's keep them on because it has been better this last few weeks. And I think most of our fans have got more oh, confidence, I suppose, to, for lack of a better word, that we might actually give Sunderland a game uh, on, on the 27th rather than going in knowing we're going to lose because for most games this season I'm you you know me I'm quite an optimistic mm. fan usually yeah, yeah. I am I one am of, usually one of few one of yeah. few across the UK mate indeed indeed and I'm usually quite uh, positive and forward thinking about our chances and there's not many times in my entire time watching Rovers over 20 odd years now that I've gone into a season or throughout a season and gone oh we'll lose today oh, I think we'll lose whereas this season most weeks I've gone yeah well we're going to lose today I know we're only playing you know, crew or whatever, but we probably won't win. And as has been proven true in all but four games this league season, we have indeed not won. So, yeah, shoots a recovery, hopefully. But January is going to be absolutely crucial. The new manager is going to make a big difference, hopefully. And we need to get the right kinds of players in or else we will be relegated at the end of the season, unfortunately. I think by the time this gets released, certainly if you're listening to this, maybe on the Saturday or the Sunday, We've said a few times, because I've had Plymouth with Ipswich, um, so the past, this is the third podcast in a row, preview podcast of the league games, where the, the club's looking for a new manager or the manager's left and gone elsewhere. So I think if you're listening to this Saturday, Sunday, you might know this, but obviously I've looked through present day when we're speaking now on the Wednesday, who's in who's in the who's on the odds to, to, to basically get the job. And there's some really interesting names. This has been with Plymouth and Ipswich, but there's a couple that stand out for me. John O'Shea is linked to it. Frank Lampard's linked to it, but he's linked to everything. But the two or three front runners, Gary McSheffrey, who's obviously out at the moment, Mick McCarthy, friend of the show. Um, not really, I haven't spoken to him for a while, um, but I do love him. Uh, but Paul Trollope is the, the favourite. Who's it the fans want? I think the fans have had some grandiose ideas some of them anyway um, a good <laughs> chunk of our fan base do want Mick Sheffrey I think whether that's because they feel the realistic options out there in that betting market aren't too exciting I mean they're not going to be we're in second bottom of league one we're not going to get an exciting player manager in but um, some of the names very experienced that have been mentioned I mean people talked about Mick McCarthy as soon as we sat well as a lot of people said get Neil Warnock in I mean I mean I'd, I'd, I'd be entertained by Neil Warnock managing Rovers I always felt like that might be a possibility Same. a few years ago but um, I don't think that's I don't think it's going to be that kind of manager uh, I, I think Mick McCarthy's been officially ruled out now by the press oh, I like I like Mick McCarthy a lot I always have and he's from uh, he's from South Yorkshire but some people use that as a link and go maybe he'll be and I had a look and he's not he's not been involved in a South Yorkshire club in football, or even a Yorkshire club, I don't think, since he left Barnsley in the 80s, I it's think, been a while. as a player. As a player, So I don't think it's any particular pull for him. And let's be honest here, uh, Doncaster over struggling at bottom of League One is not going to attract someone. I'll now name player, people who are in that betting list. You know, Mick McCarthy, it's not going to attract Chris Hewton. It's not going to attract Steve McLaren, who was allegedly at one of our games recently. Oh, God. I mean, you know, I, I wish you I wish you luck with that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, I live in Newcastle, so I've I've had some uh, strong opinions off Newcastle fans about Steve <laughs> Mack, but um 
come on, someone like that's not coming to Donny, sadly. I think Paul Trollope is probably is probably in the running. I think as as of recording, I think we're down to two candidates who the club are still speaking to. And I think they are probably two of Paul Trollope, Paul Simpson and Gary McSheffrey. Um, I, I, I would expect, and I think that's what a lot of people are thinking at this point in the day. Um, are any of them exciting? No. But could they be good appointments? Could Trollope or Simpson be astute appointments? I actually think yes. Um, a lot of people, obviously, when you, you they look at these betting lists, they just go on Wikipedia and they see that, obviously, Paul Trollope's had a cup of coffee at Cardiff as a first-team manager, and he was Bristol Rovers manager a long time ago. He was actually the manager of Bristol Rovers when we beat them in the uh, EFL Trophy final at Millennium Stadium in 2007, which he had a really good spell there, but obviously it was a long time ago. But I think people need to look beyond what it says on the right-hand side of the Wikipedia page and look at their coaching experience, look at their reputation. And I think we do need somebody who's got a lot of EFL experience, whether that is as a manager or as a coach, and both Simpson and Trollope fit that bill. Um, I, I'm quite confident that if either of them come in, they would bring something to the club. Whether they would get us out of this relegation fight, I've absolutely no idea. I don't know either of them well enough. And even if I did, very hard to say, isn't it? Because we are in a, a tricky situation and a lot, a lot needs doing beyond just the manager. But um, I would be happy with Paul Simpson. Trollope, I, th I mean, they're both gambles, I suppose, but I think Trollope would be a bit of a gamble. But at the same time, it's one that could work. Uh, I think it's the kind of appointment that Doncaster, I would expect Doncaster to make. Um, whereas some of these other appointments, and including Richard Wellens in that, were appointments that were surprising. And like Darren Moore's appointment, when I look at it in hindsight, it made a lot of sense at the time. Everyone said, well, it'd be great if he applies because obviously he had a good reputation at West Brom and, and he were a former player. And he had a great reputation in the game for being at Premier League level and Championship level for a long time. Um, when he did apply, he was the outstanding candidate. So it was a no-brainer. But when I look back at it, I think... Darren Moore wasn't really a very Doncaster Rovers appointment. And I think someone like Trollope or Simpson probably would be. And so would McSheffrey, to be fair. Um, we'll see. I like the look of Paul Simpson's CV. Uh, if, if it is him, hopefully I, I'm looking prescient here and he's been appointed by the time this goes out. But um, I like the look of his CV. I think he had a lot of managerial experience in the lower leagues in the 2000s. He did very well at Carlisle. For a time, he had Preston top of the championship. Can't argue with that. Um, and he's coaching over the last ten years. I mean, he he won the under twenties World Cup with England. Yeah, I know he doesn't. I know he doesn't necessarily recruit those players, but he's got to turn him into a successful team. And, and not many have done it over over the decades with England's youth. Um, and he and he's been on you know the staff at clubs like Newcastle and Bristol City. So I would not balk at that at all. And same for Trollope. You know, he's I think he's been assistant to Chris Hutton at a few places. These are people who've been at much bigger clubs than us. Whether they've been the key influencer there probably not but I think they could bring something to the table and I think this kind of appointment which looks likely is probably going to lead to somebody coming in above them as well somebody director of football head of football whatever you want to call it um, whether that's going to work at our level I don't know I can't think of many examples where it has but saying that it's becoming increasingly um, more common in the upper reaches of the game and it's working very well for some of those clubs and if we actually have a clearly defined football structure that is run by somebody who's qualified and suited to that role, I think that could make a big difference because, as I said before, with recruitment of the players and of the manager and of what we're trying to do, it's been all over the shop for the past 18 to 24 months. So if we can get the right appointment there as well to work with the new manager slash head coach, whatever, and it could well lead to some success over the next few years. But people will have to bear with it if, if they have the patience and if the club have the patience as well. I think if you get the appointment right as well, I mean, it's... 
something with it a lot of the time in the, in the Premier League. You looked at it and you thought, well, that's us gone by December. No, we were getting out with that. If you get the appointment right, which we sometimes did for three months, and then and then it was the wrong one. But if you get the right appointment, you, you know, you look at Allardyce when he took over, he took us over with, with no wins in October. By the end of the season, we're 3-15. And, and I hate to break anyone's heart, this isn't the podcast, but we all know how that went. But um, that does bring me on to something that I, I did want to ask. Obviously, I've got a couple more for you. I've asked you this question a few times over the years, Adam, and I think most people who've listened, and, and me, myself, think that you, you've nailed it every time. So fingers crossed you, you get it right again. Um, but Sunderland, at points, have, have seemed like a little bit of a different animal this year. Like, I felt it, even though at times I've wanted to bring the manager's neck. There has been a feeling that this might be the season at points. Rotherham have started really, really well. They're by far the strongest side in the league. Wigan keep pulling out wins in the last minute. But from a neutral perspective, do you feel like it could be the season for Sunderland this year? I do, yeah. And I said it early in the year when you were, you know, before you went on that bad run. Um, you said it looked like they're finally going to get it right. Usually at this level, when, and I'll admit, I don't think apart from Leeds, a club of Sunderland's size has come down in this last 10, 15 years. But a lot of big clubs have, a lot of clubs who've had Premier League success have, like your Charlton's, Bolton's, Leeds, um, Sheffield United were down here for six, seven years. And apart from Sheffield, I think we're maybe the only one that took longer. Um, it's usually been three, four years to get it right if you're in such a mess and come down to League One to just turn it all around. And obviously you've tried to turn it around a few times, as we've all seen. But yes, I have felt at times like this season was um, possibly the year that you'll do it. I think at this stage, I mean, I watched you last night, obviously you got you got thrashed on the scoreline, but you were playing Arsenal. We only lost 1-0 there a couple of years ago in this competition. So you're not as good as us, but never mind. Um, <laughs> no, no, but seriously, Um I, I like the look of your squad this year. I was looking over your squad, obviously, before we had this chat and watching the game last night. You've got a lot more um, sensible players, I think, for this level and, and to turn it into a proper team instead of having a few rogue elements. I mean, you've still got the odd player like that, but, you know, it felt a bit cobbled, didn't it, in past? And yes, Charlie White did great with the goals and McGeady's obviously a class player, but you just see it around the team. It's a bit cobbled together. You've got some really good quality, other areas very much not so. And then... You've got to pull it all together to get out of this league. Um, you know, I, I think that's important. And obviously having the right manager as well. I mean, I don't know how, how you guys feel about Lee Johnson at the minute. In a weird way, I'll be honest, I, I, I don't mind being wrong if it benefits Sunderland. And, and, and I feel the other week I was very much... Because I like you, Peter Reid, you Sam Allardyce, you not mincing your words and saying it in black and white. Maybe I'm old. I mean, I'm getting there. I'm 35. <laughs> I can't get on board with a. I prefer Mike Bassett to the David Brent of this world, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, and Lee Johnson is a little bit of David Brent. But to be fair to him, over the past few weeks, and maybe he's just on his good streak and that's how it's going to work with Sunderland and he's going to have a bad and good streaks. But he's turned around a really bad streak and, and he's got good, young, hungry players in. The recruitment seems good. Um, yeah, I think we're on board. I mean, we're, we got beat 5-1 last night. I think obviously you watched the game. It didn't feel like a 5-1. We had no, a goal. And um, that was quite nice that we had a goal. It it, it, it was an enjoyable night, which is weird. Um, getting beat 5-1, I don't think I've ever said it was an enjoyable night. I don't think we expected anything. And and I've got to give Lee Johnson that. You know, I'm, I'm always happy to say when I'm wrong. I do think maybe that potentially he deserves credit for what he's done. Yeah, so I think, I think a lot of fans will, will feel the same way that he's pulled us out of what was a bad streak when things were going very south. And I think he was one result away from really getting his arse kicked. Um, but he's done well to turn it around and 
as much as the things that he sometimes does annoys me, I can't look his passion for the for the job. So yeah, I think maybe he maybe he could be the right guy. Um, and I hope he is, and I hope everyone screenshots the tweets of me wanting Johnson out because if it means something I promoted, then I'm more than happy with it. So yeah, I think the short answer is he's doing all right, mate. Yeah, not bad. Oh, good. And I think we discussed Lee Johnson last time. I don't know if he was probably new in the job at the time. Um, he was, he's someone actually, that, yeah. He's, he's someone that we've always been aware of, Donny, because when he was a player, um, we were in the coming up part of the conference into League One. Yeovil were the other big team that were doing that there, and Lee Johnson was in midfield for them, and obviously his dad, Gary, was the manager. So I think Lee Johnson's always someone we've been aware of. I've, I've never thought anything bad of him, really. I thought I think he's done well at the clubs he's been at. Was it Oldham originally? Uh, and obviously, that they've been a basket case for Yonks. But um, he, he did well at Barnsley after a bad start, and he did well at Bristol City up to a point. I think he is quite a streaky manager, isn't he? But if you can get it right with those good streaks more than you have the bad streaks, I think you'll, you'll be all right to get out of this league eventually. I'm sure he's probably not the man to take you back into the Premier League, but I mean, one hurdle at a time, I suppose. Um, and, yeah. I, and I would not be surprised if you went up this season. I like some of those players in that squad you've got who have who've come to the fore. I mean, you'll know it a lot better than me, but seeing like Elliot Embleton now actually contributing a lot, you know, he's been discussed a lot up here in the last few years as one of them coming through with Willenden Gooch, obviously, and Broadhead's a really good striker. I was secretly quite pleased he went off injured yesterday. Yeah, um, two months he's out for, I think, as well, so he'll definitely yeah, be out. that's unfortunate for him. Good news for us, but I'm... Um, unfortunate for him but he, he looks a really cracking young player and obviously he's only on loan but some of those players you've got I like the squad and obviously we'll see what happens in January but I see no reason other than maybe Rotherham to doubt Sunderland ahead of any of the other current contenders because um, I think you've probably got enough on teams like Wigan and Plymouth if if we're being brutally honest by end of the season I might be wrong about that um, I didn't think Rovers would be as, as bad as we have been this season but hey-ho um, yeah I think you might well get up this year but um, I think I've sounded quite a optimistic note on Sunderland on these podcasts for a while so yeah threw the question back at me about Johnson and I'm pleased I had the time to think about it myself I think I might be I might even be a bit Johnson in for the listeners that are listening believe it or not never be never be frightened to be wrong um final question as always I got my prediction right last week I can't actually believe I've got two right so far and we're halfway through the season which means I'm (laughs) on course with my total of three I'm pretty confident I think, you know, things might change and God, that bastard in number 10, and I will say that and I won't edit it, doesn't lock us down. Um, If he doesn't, it's going to be a packed away end. It's a close day. I'm sure it'll be a well-oiled, festive away end, which I'm looking forward to. I quite fancy a 2-0 or a 2-1. And I think, to be fair to Doncaster, if a new manager comes in, probably you're looking at the game as this is not going to be the games that define your season. The, the Shrewsbury games are going to be the games that define your season, stuff like that. So I'm pretty confident. Yes, my prediction for the game. I mean, this was an optimistic uh, 3-1 defeat prediction. The optimism there is that we're going to get the one. I mean, we've never, ever got a result against you. I think, well, no, we got the 1-0-0 draw at your place and they always put us on Sky against you. But um, got the 0-0 draw on Sky, which we played quite well in, to be fair, with uh, with no, I think we had no strikers or something like that, or no left-backs. We had something, some big deficiency and we managed to hold you off. But we've lost every other game, whether we deserve to or not. I think we usually just don't turn up against Sunderland. But the situation we're in now, I think there'll be a bit of feel-good if the fans are there and it goes ahead, because I do agree with you. I certainly hope we're not locked down two days after Christmas uh, by the idiot brigade down south. Um <laughs> And that's been polite to him. Um, it's been very polite from both of us, isn't, isn't it? it? I know, yeah. isn't it? Well, I'm trying to be professional. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, if 
if the game goes ahead as we hope it does and it's a full house of, of Sunderland fans, I think it'll be a decent Donny crowd over Christmas. It usually is, especially for games like this. Then I think we will at least have some cheeriness around the place and a bit of optimism and a bit of let's give it a go. But I still think you'll have the quality to beat us. We've got so many players injured. I don't think we've had less than eight or nine players on the treatment table all season. It's been really, really rough. And, you know, I, I, I would feel a bit sorry for Richie Wellens over that if he weren't such a belligerent fellow. But um, I think, you know, we're starting three or four youth team graduates under Gary McSheffrey, and I'm presuming he'll still take the team on, on Monday, even if his replacement has been named, unless he gets it permanently, of course. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll lose. I think you'll get a, a nice, solid three points over Christmas to kick you on. But you're right, what you said before, um, these aren't the games that will define our season. We've, again, depending on the COVID situations, I know they've had an outbreak. We've got Cambridge on the 30th, and then we've got Morecambe on New Year. They're the kind of games we want to be winning. They're both away, to be fair, and we haven't won one all season away. But they're the games we need to start picking up points in. Um, and, and I'll be happy with that. You know, we need to get so many wins. I'll take fourth bottom on goal difference at the end of season, although our goal difference is currently the worst in the league, obviously. Um, yeah, so to cut a long story short on that one, I think we'll lose comfortably. But maybe we'll give it a fight for a while and you'll probably just pull away, you know, in the second half perhaps and, and we'll give it a go up to a certain point. But you'll have the quality in the end, I'd imagine. And if by the time you are listening to this podcast, we have been locked down, everyone, and the game's going ahead, the good news is that we are having a business meeting, myself and Adam, uh, wear a suit, <laughs> yep. a glass of wine and bring your cheese. I'll bring a nice big camembert to the Eco Power Stadium as it's just been renamed um, and, and we'll all have a great time, eh? Because that'll be fine, apparently. But fast and camembert, as long as you're wearing a suit. <laughs> I'll bring my best suit, which happens to be my only suit. So uh... Snap. <laughs> Adam, thanks for joining me as always, mate. Cheers. Anytime and see you see you in the next game and maybe that'll be the last one before one of us at least departs this division at last. Hopefully it's us. Yes, hopefully.